history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 16th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And this evening, we are talking about the life and the afterlife of music legend John Lennon. It's a fascinating story. Obviously, Denise, John Lennon's life has been covered over and over and over again in movies, documentaries, and books. So we're not going to spend a real detailed time talking about his history, but we will hit the high points. We're definitely going to spend some time talking about the afterlife when it comes to him, and a little bit of the mystery and conspiracy that surrounds his death as well. But before we get into that, we just want to go ahead and welcome Bob to the Spooktacular Crew group page. And we want to invite the rest of you to join us over there. There's only four of us there right now. We're kind of lonely. And we think there might be a little misunderstanding because sometimes when we say, hey, join the Spooktacular Crew, everybody's like, well, I am a part of the Spooktacular Crew. I listen to the show, I support the show, I share the show, all that good stuff, which you are. When we're saying, come join us on the Spooktacular Crew, we're talking about the group page on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you won't be able to join. So if you want to be a part of the the group page, you have got to join Facebook. But what we found is with our fan page, we've got over 100 of you there. So we'd love to have you come over to the Spooktacular Crew group page. You're not able to interact on the fan page. When you guys post stuff there, it gets lost over in the side column. A lot of people don't see it. But on the group page, when you post stuff, stuff won't get lost, at least not as quickly. It will get lost in the crowd eventually, but it won't go, it won't be stuffed over onto the side column. So come on over to the Spooktacular Crew group page on Facebook and join us there. We'd love to have you. Also, we want to make sure you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. That's your one-stop shop for everything History Goes Bump. You can find out the different locations where you can listen to the show. You can sign up for the newsletter. It's entirely free. You can also check out the Emporium there if you need to pick up some things for Christmas or if you just want some fan gear. It's also a great place if you would like to donate to the show and help keep the show going. We greatly appreciate those things. The blog is there. We've also got the archives of all the shows. The last 10 shows are featured on the homepage. The archive page has all the rest of the archives there. Also, you can subscribe to it at iTunes and TuneIn and Stitcher as well. We've got the events page up there as well, and we'll be adding a new event to that soon as we will be having a ghost tour in Mount Dora in January. And also, we do love to hear from you all and get feedback from you, the things that you love, the things that you would like to see us maybe touch on or a different place or location. So please send in those emails, send in the feedback. It's, it's simply at historygoesbump at gmail.com. So we would love to hear from you. Welcome to this moment in Oddity. On November 25, 1963, the alleged assassin of President Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald, was laid to rest at Rose Hill Cemetery. He was buried in a number 31 Pine Bluff coffin, wearing a dark suit. His brother, Robert Oswald, had paid Baumgartner Funeral Home $710 for the coffin 
Vault and Flowers. Last week, an odd trial came to a close as a judge's decision is pending. The court case is over Oswald's number 31 Pine Bluff Coffin. Here's the backstory into how a coffin caused a court battle. Oswald was exhumed in 1981 when rumors started that a Russian body double had been buried rather than Oswald. Tests confirmed that Lee Harvey Oswald was the guy in the grave. Apparently, the coffin was in bad shape, so the owner of the funeral home put Oswald in a new coffin and stored the old one for 30 years. Then he decided to sell it in 2010, and he did for $87,468. When Robert Oswald heard about the sell, he sued to block it and claimed that not only was it ghoulish, but he owned the coffin and had thought it was destroyed. The funeral home owner, Alan Baumgarter, countered, saying the coffin had been a gift to Lee from his brother, and so the brother had relinquished his rights to the coffin. Plus, no one had claimed the coffin in 30 years. Alan also declared that the coffin had historical value and should not be destroyed. Not only did the funeral home sell the coffin, it also sold the table Oswald was embalmed on. We don't know what the judge's decision will be, nor what it should be, But a court battle that has raged for several years over a rotting wooden coffin certainly is odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. This Day in History On the evening of this day, December 16, in 1835, a city watchman smelled smoke as he patrolled the streets. The area was the heart of the import and export industry of New York. Rows of warehouses were packed with fine silks, glassware, coffee, furnishings, lace, chemicals, and musical instruments. New York's volunteer fire departments were called into action, but their efforts to save the area were thwarted by the freezing temperatures that had frozen hydrants, and water pumped from the nearby East River was blown back by freezing winds. The entire area south of Wall Street between the East River and Broad Street was burning out of control. The fire continued to spread, engulfing one of the finest buildings in America, the Merchants' Exchange. The only thing that managed to hold back the fire was a rubble barrier built by the military from buildings they blew up that were in the path of the fire. When the Great New York Fire was finally over, two people were dead and 674 buildings had been destroyed. The area was rebuilt in a few years and measures were taken to fireproof buildings. The area was never threatened by a large fire again. You're listening to History Goes Bump! All right, so let's talk about the incredibly talented John Lennon. I am a fan of Beatles music. I'm not an over-the-top fan. I have a few of their songs on disc, and, and I do enjoy listening to their music. I wouldn't say I'm a rabid fan. Have you been a fan of the Beatles? Same with you. As I enjoyed their music. I like hearing you know groups that, that remake it, like when we're over at Epcot or whatever, and, and sing the songs. But I am definitely not a rabid fan like our friend Christine. <laughs> and I think that when the Beatles broke up, everybody kind of went, Psh. <laughs> I mean, they all had their solo careers and other groups, and they came out with some songs, and some of them were okay. But I really think the height of their talent was with the Beatles. And a lot of John Lennon's solo stuff I wasn't real crazy about either. I have to say, the song Imagine, I love the melody. It's a beautiful melody, but 
you don't like the song because you're like, what, what, what? Every time it's it comes the stupidest on. <laughs> song I've ever heard, and I'm I'm sure I'm offending people, but it doesn't make any sense. Basically, if you get down to the core of what he's saying, imagine there's nothing. Wow, that's fabulous. There's a bunch of nothing. Imagine there's no heaven, no hell. We're just, you know, there's a sky above us. Isn't that great? And then we can all just get along. Uh, you know, I love that the world, you know, living is one. Every, you know, give everybody a Coke. <laughs> Buy the world a Coke. That's a Isn't great. That a whole different band. <laughs> <laughs> like we just went from the Beatles to she'd like to hear the world sing in perfect harmony. It's a great sentiment, but I just, I've always thought that the words to that song were just inane because I'm like, if that was true, then there wouldn't be anything. And I don't know. I don't want to live in nothing. I guess that's just me. But anyway, before we get into talking about the biography of John Lennon, you heard a little piece of trivia that some people may not know that actually affects you personally a little bit, I guess. Yes, so many of you know I work at Walt Disney World, and that is actually where the Beatles were disbanded. Um, John Lennon was staying, staying, I believe, at Disney's Polynesian Resort, which is now changing names, but at the time it was Disney's Polynesian Resort when he actually signed the papers to to end the Beatles. So a little bit of history there that kind of joins up with my Disney history. Yes, as a matter of fact, Denise, on the website ultimateclassicrock.com, it uh, says leave it to John Lennon to make the Beatles break up officially by signing the termination papers while on holiday at Disney World. And as you get down towards the end of this, we're going to talk about this woman when we get into the biography here. But John was there with his mistress. They were spending Christmas in Florida. They were staying at the Polynesian Village Hotel. Oh, actually, so you know what? They were staying there. When we were our old name before the Polynesian Resort, and we're, we've gone back to the old name of Disney's Polynesian Village, so we've come full circle there. Exactly. So the Apple lawyers brought this mammoth contract for Lennon to sign at Disney World, and as the Magic Kingdom is his backdrop, he signed it December 29th, 1974. So pretty fascinating stuff there. And you thought I just sat around across from you and did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you said, you know what, I think that John Lennon broke up the Beatles at the Polynesian, I thought maybe you were smoking some funny stuff that John Lennon probably partook of in his lifetime. No, I wasn't getting in the mood for the show. I was just stating facts. All right. Do you want to kick this off? Definitely. 34 years ago this month, the world lost a music legend in an unexpected way in front of the Dakota on Central Park West in New York City. Assassination. The story of John Lennon, his life death, and afterlife is seasoned with legend and mystery. Reams have been written about the life of John Lennon, and so we are only going to give a brief overview of his life, as Diane mentioned earlier, but we're going to focus more on what is not usually covered in the anthologies and documentaries about this gifted man, and that is his afterlife. John Winston Lennon was born on October 9th, 1940 in Liverpool, England. And you know, those October babies are the best. She says as she is one of them. (laughs) But I agree. (laughs) The middle name Winston was chosen in honor of Winston Churchill. Early life for Lennon was not in a happy home. His father was away all the time working as a merchant seaman, and his mother paid very little attention to Lennon, eventually leading John's aunt to report the substandard care, and she was given charge of Lennon's care. In 1946, John's father attempted to take Lennon away to New Zealand, but his mother confronted his father and a scene no child should have to endure ensued. Lennon was forced to decide between his parents, and he chose his father, 
But as his mother walked away, he ran after her crying, and he would not see his father again for 20 years. Although he had chosen his mother, it would be Aunt Mimi who would raise John. John Lennon's musical career began early. When he was a child, his uncle bought him a mouth organ, and his mother taught him to play the banjo and introduced him to the music of Elvis Presley, who Lennon always looked to as an inspiration and hoped one day to be as big as Elvis. Lennon was a troublemaker, though, the type of boy parents would warn their children to stay away from, and school labeled him as someone who would be a failure. Huh, that's a thing he does share in common with the king, with Elvis Presley. He was also labeled a fa- that he would turn out no good. Most talented people get labeled as, you'll amount to nothing. Yay, I have hope. <laughs> <laughs> in 1956, Lennon's mother bought him his first guitar and insisted that he leave the guitar at her house so that his musical ambitions would not be squashed. It would seem that Aunt Mimi was not a fan of Lennon getting involved with music, and his declarations of being famous one day caused her to scoff. When Lennon was 17, his mother was struck and killed by a car. Lennon seemed to be heading nowhere when he entered college. As a matter of fact, he was only accepted into art school after his Aunt Mimi intervened, and he was thrown out before he was able to graduate. Music was always there, though. Before college, Lennon had become interested in skiffle music. Skiffle arose in America during the 1920s from New Orleans Dixieland jazz, and it incorporated the use of mostly handmade instruments like guitars made from cigar boxes and washboards, and the melodies combined folk, blues, and jazz music together. Skiffle jumped the pond and became very popular in Britain in the 1950s. Many small bands started as skiffle bands, and Lennon had one named The Quarrymen that he actually launched when he was only 15. Paul McCartney was at the second Quarryman performance, and the two future legends met. Lennon asked McCartney to join the band. At 18, Lennon wrote his first song, Hello, Little Girl. George Harrison joined the group along with Stuart Sutcliffe, and in 1960, they changed their name to The Beatles. They got a booking agent and were set up with a gig in Hamburg. They had a problem, though. They had no drummer. Lennon recruited Pete Best, and they set off for Hamburg, where they would play in different clubs until 1962. Sutcliffe left the group at that time and later died of a brain hemorrhage. The Beatles recorded their first record and were discovered by Brian Epstein, who is responsible for formulating the group's image. Pete Best left the group, and Ringo Starr joined, forming the Fab Four the world would come to love. For all the incredible music the group created, one would think that the collaboration lasted a really long time, but by 1970, the group had broken up. Lennon may have been unfocused in school, but he was driven when it came to music, and he was a taskmaster in the studio. Their first album, Please Please Me, contained 14 tracks and was recorded in 10 hours. The album featured eight songs that McCartney and Lennon wrote together. Towards the end of these Hamburg performances, Lennon's girlfriend, Cynthia Powell, became pregnant, and so he insisted that they get married. Later in life, Lennon became known as a man of peace, but during these early years, he was a man of violence, getting into fistfights, and this hitting was not just focused on men. He hit women, too. Lennon terrified Powell with his angry outbursts, and he abused her. In 1963, she gave birth to their son, Julian. Lennon and fellow Beatles had already begun abusing drugs to help them stay awake on the road, and Lennon started using LSD after Julian was born. Dealing with the drugs, abuse, and finally discovering Lennon with Yoko Ono, Cynthia asked for a divorce in 1968 and was given custody of Julian. Julian and Lennon would have a strained relationship 
with Julian becoming closer to McCartney, who wrote the song Hey Jude for him. Before his death, the strained relationship became better, and Lennon guided Julian into his music career, although Julian was left very little in Lennon's will. Lennon met Yoko Ono in 1965, and she became pregnant in 1968 with their first child, which she miscarried shortly after Lennon's divorce was final. The circumstances of how Ono and Lennon met depend on whom you ask, but they always claim that it was at an art exhibition of Ono's work. The couple married in 1969. Their relationship eventually led to the breakup of the Beatles, and Lennon launched a successful solo career with Ono occasionally accompanying him on songs, much to our ears' dismay. The couple moved to New York in 1971 and lived at the St. Regis Hotel until they found a flat in Greenwich Village. They were robbed while living there, so they moved to the Dakota in 1973 for more security. It was at this time that Lennon began an affair with the couple's personal assistant, May Pang, and Lennon eventually left Ono and moved to California with Pang. She was good for Lennon and helped him reestablish a relationship with his son Julian and with friends like his Beatles mates. His violent temper did cause him to nearly strangle her once, though. Lennon always referred to this time in his life as the lost weekend. The couple returned to New York and planned to buy a home. In 1975, Lennon agreed to a meeting with Ono, and great mystery surrounds what happened at this time. Many people, including Pang, suspect that Ono somehow managed to brainwash Lennon. Two days after the Ono meeting, Lennon met up with Pang at a joint dental appointment. She had not seen or heard from him in those two days, and he announced that he was getting back together with Ono. Pang claims he seemed almost drugged and confused. She would continue to be his mistress. Later that year, Ono gave birth to a son whom they named Sean. Lennon spent the next five years rearing Sean and staying out of the music business. It was also during the year 1975 that deportation proceedings finally ended against Lennon. He had been very politically active and protested the Vietnam War loudly. His influence and criticism worried American President Richard Nixon, who was seeking re-election, and Nixon began deportation proceedings in 1972 against Lennon on grounds that he should have never been allowed to enter the country due to cannabis charges in Britain back in 1968. <laughs> Boy, would he be amazed to see what they have now. <laughs> just <laughs> go just to Colorado. To, or Washington. <laughs> And then you're safe. After Nixon resigned due to Watergate, President Gerald Ford stopped the proceedings and Lennon received his green card. In October of 1980, Lennon finally emerged from family life with the hit song, Just Like Starting Over. The single was ranked as the 62nd biggest song of all time by Billboard magazine in their Billboard Hot 100 chart in 2013. The album Double Fantasy was released in November to harsh criticism. Most critics dubbed it a big yawn. On December 8th of that year, Lennon and Ono were taking a walk outside of their apartment at the Dakota when Mark David Chapman approached the couple from behind and shot Lennon four times in the back. He was dead on arrival at the hospital, and Ono had him cremated and later spread his ashes in Central Park. Chapman would claim as recently as just a few days ago, and we do have a link to this article, that the idea of fame and notoriety that would come from killing someone like Lennon was irresistible. Chapman pleaded guilty and was sentenced 20 years to life. He remains in jail and has been denied parole eight times. And, of course, Yoko Ono has made sure to be at every one of those hearings. I bet. I mean, sometimes it's like, what a whack job, you know? It's like, 
I want to be famous, so look what I'm going to do, and not even think about how much he was going to destroy. Yeah, and this guy had so much gall that he went up to John Lennon before he killed him when they were first coming out of the apartment to go for their walk and asked him to sign an album cover for him, which, of course, John Lennon did. So can you imagine? Hey, will you sign this for me? I'm going to kill you in a few, you know, an hour or so. Ugh. People. And I heard that he returned to the scene after the fact, too, and was like standing among the onlookers when they were looking up the crime scene and all that stuff. I, I don't understand people like that at all. I just, yes. my brain can't even conceive what they're thinking. This article that we linked to in the show notes basically is him saying that he hopes that someday when he meets John Lennon in the afterlife, I guess, that he'll forgive him. Yeah, well, with the things that we're covering tonight. Maybe John Lennon is already with him. (laughs) (laughs) Lennon left a legacy that continues to this day, not only in the world of music, but in the world of political activism. Memorials and tributes to Lennon exist throughout the world. But does something other than just a legacy continue on for John Lennon? There is much mystery, conspiracy, and supernatural activity that exists when it comes to Lennon. One of the first mysterious circumstances that occurred after Lennon's death came with the release of the Double Fantasy album. People have claimed that the song Kiss, Kiss, Kiss on the album sung by Yoko Ono features her saying, I shot John Lennon. It's a bizarre song, and I have to say, it does sound a bit like she is saying that in several sections. The song is just weird. Really, really weird. It almost sounds like she's orgasmic through the whole thing. And then when she is forming real words and not just moaning weirdly, it's it sounds like she's saying, I shot John Lennon, something like that, you know, several times. It's just really weird. If you go on YouTube and put kiss, 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 Yoko Ono, and about 45 seconds into it, you'll start hearing it is about where I was hearing it. And I was like, that is just weird. If you can make it that far into the song, it's horrendous. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Yoko Ono, maybe she can paint. I don't know. I've never seen any of her artwork, but the woman cannot sing. Not one bit. Sorry. It's just the truth. No, and it doesn't help that Diane absolutely hates most artists from that era. So if you get one that can't sing to top it off, she really, really hates them. The only reason she was on anything or doing anything is because of John Lennon. And, you know, going back to that story with his mistress, what had happened is Yoko Ono had said, hey, I found a way to help you stop smoking. I'm going to take you to a hypnotherapist. Really makes you wonder what they did to him in that session. Well, you never know. There was so much going on in the 60s. You know, just well, with- you know, his brain was probably so fried on just the LSD stuff. And, you know, as we're talking about this, John Lennon was very much into the occult. They did a lot of stuff with the Maharishis and getting into some of the New Age and Transcendental Meditation and that kind of thing. And LSD is a drug that really helps to, you know, we talk about the veil here on this show and crossing over that veil. LSD is one of those drugs that helps people to cross through that veil. And you'll hear a lot of the time when people are talking about their experiences that they see demons or angels, that they're going on a trip into other realms that maybe you don't want to go into. There's other drugs out there. I think peyote would be kind of a comparable thing for Native Americans. 
um, ayahuasca. I don't know, you know, if people have heard about that. That's another one that supposedly helps to facilitate this crossing through that veil. And so John Lennon played with that stuff a lot. And there's a book out there. I think it's called Haunted Rock and Roll or something. And I heard the author being interviewed and he talked a lot about how there's all these artists out here that sell their souls to the devil for their fame. And, you know, when, when you take a step back and you're a skeptic, you say, oh, sure. You know, people say that all the time. Oh, they sold their souls. But when you really look at the talent that is out there in the world and how many people really can make great music and go nowhere with it. As a matter of fact, on our last show, we were talking about St. Augustine. And as we were walking through the streets, we passed by this bar and I was just mesmerized by this woman's voice that was coming out of one of the bars. And she was very good. She was so good. And she was singing one of uh, Fleetwood Mac's songs. I think it was Landslide. She sounded very similar to Stevie Nicks. And You know, this is a girl just singing in a bar, probably will never be discovered or famous or anything like that. So you always ask yourself, how is it that some people get so famous? I mean, you look at the Beatles and it's like, how did they get so famous? They were making good music, but a lot of the groups that were coming over, the Rolling Stones had the same kind of haircuts and were making good music, but they just, the Rolling Stones didn't have quite the effect that the Beatles did, or even Elvis with having people, girls would just faint. They don't do that at concerts anymore. What was going on back then that there were these kind of reactions? And so when you look at how he was active in the occult and how there's these rumors that people sold their souls, there's a rumor that John Lennon did the same thing. And maybe that's why Beatlemania took off. In the book, The Lennon Prophecy by Joseph Nisgoda, The Lennon Prophecy is described as a pact made with the devil. The story goes that John Lennon wanted to be as big as Elvis, and so he sold his soul to the devil. And, you know, you meet the devil at the crossroads. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that, too. If you go back to the crossroads, you die. The pact was made in 1960 and was to last for 20 years. And he died in 1980, so it seems like somebody cashed in on that one. Right after the pact was made, the Beatles performed at Litherland, England, and Beatlemania ensued with the Beatles going on to international fame and fortune. It really is. When you look at the history of the Beatles, it was that performance there that just, there was a complete shift. They were doing well, and people were paying attention to them, but it was like after that, they skyrocketed. It was amazing. Their hits all started going to number one. So did Lennon really sell his soul? Some say the evidence is in the reactions of the crowds to the Beatles. You had people who appeared mesmerized and crazed whenever the group was singing. And Ms. Goda also claims that Lennon told his friend Tony Sheridan that he had indeed sold his soul. Yeah, it does make you wonder. I mean, back then, you know, the fans were, maybe because we didn't have all the media that we have now, that that was their only time to see these people that they had, the you know, a record of. We didn't have YouTube and all the stuff where they would have access, but they went a little bit crazy. But for the Beatles, they were nuts. Well, you know what makes this believable, too, is this carries over into our modern day, too. This wasn't just something that these, you know, groups were doing back in the 70s and the 80s. Katy Perry claims to have sold her soul to the devil. Google any of this stuff on YouTube and you'll see it. You look at Jay-Z and Beyonce, they talk about devil flash demonic symbols. Beyonce wears a Baphomet ring on her hand. So there's a lot of stuff that goes hand in hand with if you see somebody who's really, really famous when it comes to singing and you're thinking, you know, they're talented, but they're not like over the top talented. Maybe there's something more to it. And it might explain why We have the reason to write books like Haunted Rock and Roll. (laughs) Exactly. Moving on, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison reunited to make a song in 1995 named Free as a Bird. 
They posed for a promotional picture outside, and at the last minute, a rare white peacock walked into the picture and was captured on film. McCartney said of the event, quote, I said to the other guys, that's John, spooky, eh? It was like John was hanging around. We felt that way all through the recording, end quote. Apparently, he was making a lot of noise in the studio and, and that kind of thing. They were hearing what sounded almost like his voice in some of the recordings. Hmm, didn't want them recording without him, huh? Yeah, and I even heard a story. It was really interesting. I, I think Elton John had used a piano that John Lennon had used. I don't know if it was a piano that he had owned, but when he was trying to record his music, they kept getting John's voice in through the recording. Really? Whenever he was playing with that piano, and there were like different, he, there was notes that would play by themselves, and it was just weird. Liam Gallagher of the group Oasis claims that John Lennon paid him a visit. In his story, Gallagher recounts that he was taking a nap and awoke feeling the presence of someone else in the room, and he says that he knows it was Lennon. Gallagher also claims to be the reincarnation of Lennon. May Pang, who was his mistress, describes her experiences with Lennon in the afterlife. This is an article that we have linked up in the show notes that's found over on theexaminer.com. And what May Pang says is she was driving with some friends in the car and she said that she still feels like John was around her. And they said, well, how do you know that? And she says, you know, different things, for example, and maybe you've experienced this too, Denise, or you've heard people talk about this, that maybe they shared a certain song with someone and they'll be thinking about that person, then all of a sudden the song comes on the radio. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think it's just a coincidence. So this is kind of what May Pang was saying. You know, every so often, you know, one of his songs will come on or just there'll be something that I know it's kind of him trying to tell me that he's there. So she's explaining this to her friends. And just at that moment, a large bus cut in front of her, forcing her to step on her brake and utter a few choice expletives. It was raining, adding to her frustration. Then all of a sudden, her mood changed, and a big smile came across her face. Do you see this? She said to her friends what they said. Grinning, she said, look at that bus. What do you see? Through the windshield wipers, we could finally see that in the darkness, John Lennon's self-portrait cartoon image was emblazoned across the back of the bus. It was the John Lennon Educational Songwriting Tour Bus. All of our jaws dropped, and we went silent. Then one of the friends said, how many of these buses are there? May said, one. Friends in disbelief said, well, it's always in New York, right? No, May said it travels all over the country. A stunned pause permeated the car now. The chances of the John Lennon bus actually being in New York at any one particular time were slim, not to mention the infinitesimal chance that it would pull in front of May's car just as someone asked, how do you know when Lennon's around? Skeptic friends had no choice but to recognize the high probability that John was sending a message to them as though he were helping May to prove her point. So I thought that was a fun story there. Very much so. Lennon had told his son Julian that if anything happened to him and he died, that he would return through a sign to Julian and that the sign would be a white feather. In 2007, Julian was working on the film Whale Dreamers in Australia about the plight of whales. He was working closely with the Aboriginal tribes. A tribe elder invited Julian to attend a ceremony one evening, and Julian was presented with a white feather there. Julian believes that this was the sign his father had promised him. People claim to see the spirit of Lennon outside the Dakota, and he is occasionally seen across the pond with a woman who people believe is his Aunt Mimi. A musician named Joey Harrow was walking with a friend near the Dakota, and he said they both saw Lennon standing near the entrance with an eerie light surrounding him in 1983. Yoko Ono claims that she saw Lennon sitting at his white piano and that he told her that he was still with her. 
the Dakota has a history of being haunted. So Lennon just may have joined the crying lady ghost he said he once saw there. Is the legacy of John Lennon more than just his memory? Is the spirit of John Lennon still here among the living? That is for you to decide. Pretty interesting stuff. And we want to thank Daria DiGiovanni, our friend and fan of the show, for suggesting the idea of doing the show. Because we do like to cover not just buildings that might be haunted, but people who might be haunted or haunting. Right. And it's always fun because like, we go and explore our own things, but we only have limited time of places we get to go. So it's always fun when people suggest things to do the research, to find out about them and to learn about hauntings and also to increase our wish list of places we would personally like to visit. Yeah. And, you know, John Lennon, I know I've seen a lot of documentaries and stuff on him, but there were quite a few things that I learned this evening. Yeah, like that he broke up the Beatles at my resort. <laughs> I had no idea about that. thats It's one of those little pieces of trivia you don't hear just everywhere. Well, we are sliding into Christmas. It is almost here. As of... Uh, Ten days, right? Didn't we add Yeah, up? when this show's going to be put up, there will be nine days until nine Christmas. Nine days. Did you get all your shopping done, everyone? <laughs> nope. We are going to have a show on Christmas Day. It's not going to be the typical show. It's kind of going to be like our Halloween special, because a lot of people may not know, but ghost stories and Christmas go hand in hand for a lot of reasons, and we're going to cover those reasons in that special. We also would like you to share any ghost stories that you would like to share for that show, whether it's a real experience you've had, a ghost story that you've written yourself, or maybe you have a favorite ghost story that you would like to recount for everybody. If you want to do that, just send us an email at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We'd love to share those with people. We have quite a few ghost tales from around the world that we're planning on sharing during that show. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I always love the ghost story type type things. It's a lot of fun to do those here on the show at the holidays and also camping. And as the song goes for the little kids who've lost their two front teeth, all they want for Christmas is their two front teeth. Well, all we want for Christmas are just a couple of things. First of all, we'd love to get more likes over at the fan page on Facebook. So if you would like to invite your friends, we would greatly appreciate that. We would love your reviews at Stitcher and iTunes. We have just... I think we've got one over at Stitcher and I think three on iTunes. And we would love to get more of those because what it does is it helps us to gain a little bit more ranking so that we're a little bit more visible because this is all grassroots folks. So that's the only way it gets out there is word of mouth. So we need your mouths to be giving out words, I guess. (laughs) What a plan words. (laughs) Look at you. You rock. And join us for our next show. Uh, We don't really have anything. Usually I have things set up ahead of time. You know, I have the whole month planned. But being as this is December, and I can't even believe we've been able to get shows up with as busy as we've been running around, I'm sure like all of you are trying to get Christmas cards out, doing Christmas decorations and Christmas parties and breaking Christmas cookies and shopping. And then some shopping. of you are doing all the Hanukkah stuff, which they have to do even more shopping because <laughs> no, it's like no 80 kidding. days. I don't know how many, nine days of presents? Or eight days. Eight days. And I'm telling you, it's one of those things that has caused me to think maybe I should go for the Judaism thing. You know, eight days of presents sure beats one. And Denise is going, I ain't buying you eight days worth of presents, so forget <laughs> like, it. I would be broke. <laughs> I'm already having a hard enough time with one day of Christmas. <laughs> so until Denise becomes a millionaire, you cannot join a different religion. You will stay in this one. All right. So join us for our next show. We should have one between now and the Christmas special. Maybe you want to suggest something to us. If you want to, you'll have to do it in the next couple of days. 
But um, we'll have some haunted place I'm sure we'll come up with. There's haunted places in America? There's a few. Oh. You know, actually, what we should do, just because you mentioned America, maybe we'll jump over to another continent. Across the pond? Down yeah, south. Or Australia has a lot of haunted Ooh. places. Oh, I've actually been listening to a, a, a podcast. Um, I think it's called Haunted Adelaide. And it's kind of fun to listen to people with a, hey, mate, I won't even try an Australian accent because <laughs> she'll make fun of me, but it's fun to listen to them tell stories in their accents. Okay, don't make fun of Diane a lot, but one time she was doing a... You, we already talked about oh, did it on we this talk show. About we don't it? have to bring it up again. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> so I don't know where her Australian would be from. Maybe it would be from a different state. All right, folks. So thanks for joining us this evening. I have been Diane. And this is Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.